Good morning. I'm Alex. Thank you, Josh and Johnny, for the introduction. Uh, I'm super excited to be here to be preaching. I am uh, trying to get over that last hurdle before seminary is over. Uh, so this is, it's fun that it's preaching to be that last hurdle. Uh, we will be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I'll give you a little time to find that. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray one more time. Father, we're so thankful that we're able to be here together, worshiping you as one body. Thank you for your word that you give to us. I pray that you would open our, our hearts, our minds. I pray that your spirit would do a work in our lives and that as a result of understanding your word better, that we will, we will be comforted and that it will impact our lives, Lord. We love you. pray that you would be with us this morning. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Proposing is a big deal. It's hard. It's nerve-wracking, and perhaps some of you husbands out there can remember planning an extravagant, maybe very romantic proposal. When I knew I wanted Dial to be my wife, and I wanted to ask her, I made plans. I made extravagant plans. We were gonna revisit some of our old haunts that we had visited, uh, our first place we met, uh, one of the places we really enjoyed getting supper together. And to cap it off, we were gonna take a horse-drawn carriage ride through lamp-lit Minneapolis on the banks of the Mississippi. It was gonna be very romantic. I was patting myself on the back. Alex, you're such a romantic. This was gonna be good but things went wrong pretty much from the beginning because I had to pick up the ring that morning and it was summer and as Minnesotans know, we have winter and we have road construction. So I got caught in road construction. I was gonna be late. I was gonna be late to this, this romantic evening where I was gonna ask Dale to be my wife. Things were not going as planned from the beginning. But the worst of it, that was not the worst of it, the worst of it came when after we ate, we were going to head to where the carriage was. And I want to be sneaky, you know, I can't have her knowing this is the night that I'm going to propose. <laughs> so I have her drive, and I punch the address into GPS, you know, Google Maps. So she's driving, I'm giving her directions, and we get there, this isn't right. I, I look up, and this is not... This is not the building that has, you know, the pictures that are from the website that I had purchased the tickets from. This is an abandoned building in a less than reputable part of Minneapolis. <laughs> so I'm, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, this is a disaster, what do I do? 
And Diel, she doesn't know. She doesn't know that I'm, you know, perplexed. So she's there in the driver's seat trying not to laugh. She is laughing. And so I don't know what to do. Do I, do I, do I still go through with it? Do I propose? I don't know. So as any good son does, he calls his mom, right? Yeah, so I called my mom. She helped me figure out this whole thing. She helped me set it up. This is romantic. Um, and of course, moms, you have incredible problem-solving skills. She did figure it out. I had used the wrong address that they had sent me. So it was my fault. And immediately a weight was lifted. Oh, thank goodness. I can still go through with this. We drove. We were a little bit late to the carriage. Horse was still there. Um, we, got to, we got to have that ride. I was able to propose. She said yes, despite all of this. And things did not go as planned, but they worked out. I didn't have to get anxious. I didn't have to get frustrated or fear that this wouldn't work out. You know, help was only a phone call away. Now, when things don't go as planned, we sometimes don't act the way we should. We have a tendency to get flustered, anxious, scared. I think of uh, David as a good example of this. Perhaps some of you guys remember in 1 Samuel 21 when David is being pursued by Saul. Saul wants to kill him. And David is so scared of this that he flees. He flees into Gath, which Gath is the city that Goliath is from. So Goliath, this is, this is after David has killed Goliath, and the Philistines, they're still the sworn enemies of the Israelites, and David flees to that city. Now, he's trying to be incognito, but he gets recognized. He's, King David, or he's David. He's a great warrior, and he's filled with fear when he realizes that he's been recognized. Now, the king of that city, they bring David before him. His name's Achish. So when David is in front of Achish, he's filled with fear, and instead of relying on the Lord to deliver him, he takes matters into his own hands. David acts like a madman. It's, it says that he starts scribbling graffiti onto doors. He's drooling all down his beard, and he's acting, it says in the text, it, he's acting insanely in their hands to the point where King Achish says, why have you brought this madman before me? Get him out of my court. The deception works. God still delivers David, but David later on has time to reflect that he was not relying upon God, but himself. Now, this brings us to our text. I believe that Paul's loving encouragements to the Philippians shows three realities, three realities that the believer can experience in trying times. Now, my purpose in preaching this text is so that everyone in this room, all of us, can know without a doubt that as life can be difficult, we know that, life can be difficult, it can be hard to have joy in the Lord. It can be hard to live a humble and gentle life for the Lord. And it can be hard to rid ourselves of anxiety, the anxiety that life brings. We know that. But my purpose is that despite this, in all of this difficulty, we can know that God has not abandoned us, has not abandoned you or me in our struggles. 
but rather he wants us to cry out to him. My hope is that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, that the Lord is near. He is near at this very moment in the midst of our anxious hearts, our grief, our strife. Even in that, we can pursue, pursue Christ and draw near to him. Again, I believe Paul's loving encouragements to the Philippians in chapter four, four through seven, shows three realities the believer can experience in trying times. And these are unending joy, unmistakable humility, and an unyielding peace. A believer can have an unending joy in trying times. That means it is not dependent upon the circumstances. Remember who is writing this letter to the Philippians. Paul, as he writes, he is in prison. Let's take a moment to look at Paul's life, to remember since his conversion on the road to Damascus where he was blinded, since then, on all of his missionary journeys, he has been beaten numerous times, he has been stoned, he's been thrown out of countless cities, shipwrecked, he spent years in prison, he's been abandoned by those who he thought were close friends. And at this time, he's writing this letter, he's in prison waiting for an execution. He doesn't know at this point yet, but he will probably lose his life. He knows this. Yet he can still write, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So that's the author. Now let's think about the audience. The Philippians, they're also in horribly trying circumstances. These are men and women in hostile territory. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony at this point. They have gold mines. They, Philippi is on a highway, a, a Roman highway. So this is an important place. And it is seen as basically Roman soil. So the citizens, they, they love being Romans, basically. They love it. They take pride in their Romanness. Now, the Christians, they can't take part in this, this Romanness in large part because to be a good Roman, you had to worship the emperor. You had to make sacrifices to the emperor, and the Christians couldn't do that. So that barred them from a lot of Roman society. Look at what happened to Paul when he first got to the city of Philippi. He disrupts the order of things. He disrupts the order of things so badly that the citizens, they bring him before the council and they advocate that the things they're doing are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So Christianity, the things Paul is teaching, is not lawful for good Romans to practice, it says in Acts 16.21. He and Silas were beat, they were thrown in jail because they were Christians. So that is a little bit about where the church in Philippi is. They are in hostile territory. This is hard. Also, the church has very little. They can't join guilds because they don't take place in emperor worship. And so they are in deep poverty, Paul writes. So both Paul and the church in Philippi, 
are undergoing circumstances that seem contrary to rejoicing. How can Paul possibly write, rejoice in the Lord when they're experiencing this difficulty? This joy is dependent on knowing who God is. It's, it's simple, but it bears pointing out, rejoice, who, who, who do we rejoice in? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't rejoice in friends. Friends, they'll disappoint. Not in the world. The world is discouraging. Not in wealth. Not in status. Not in profession. That is not going to fulfill. Rejoice in the Lord. The more the believer knows God, the more he or she will be able to rejoice in any circumstances. Now, Josh, Josh has been going through Genesis where we've been meditating on how almighty God is by looking at all of his creation, how big God is. Look at what he has done. When you see how big God is, how powerful he is, and then you read passages like Jamie read for us, Matthew 6, that God who made everything that powerful God who made us, he loves his children. See how much God loves us. See how much God will provide for his children. See how much joy us as his children can have in their heavenly father. As a believer grows in knowledge and relationship with God, joy will reign in the life of the believer despite circumstances. So the first point that the believer can have an unending joy. Second point, a believer can have an unmistakable humility. Look at verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The life of the believer should always be others oriented. Now, there's not a good translation in English for this word that we see as reasonableness. It's, it's a difficult word to put into English. Two Greek scholars have said this about it. The word signifies a humble, patient steadfastness, which is able to submit to injustice, disgrace, and maltreatment without hatred and malice, trusting in God in spite of it all. Being able to withstand all of this mistreatment without hatred and malice in return because we trust in God. That's what this, this, this reasonableness, I, I think of it as an unmistakable humility, others-orientedness. Now, this should sound familiar because just not too long before our text, Paul has written in chapter 2, 3 for three and four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This others-orientedness, this should be so prevalent in the life of the believer that it is how you're known both inside and outside the church. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone not just your friends, but your enemies as well. I mean, this is, this is hard. This is difficult stuff. 
But how necessary is this? Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The nearness of the Lord empowers the believer to have this reasonableness and also to rejoice at the same time. This nearness can mean two things. It can mean near as in the coming of the Lord in judgment that is near. Or near as in he is near to the believer spatially. He is near. He is here with me, next to me, within me. He is near. I believe that this nearness carries both. I think Paul is, is implying both meanings here. The first meaning, the believer can have an unmistakable humility because he trusts in the justice of God. There will be justice. The day of the Lord is near, Joel 1-2. And when it comes, Paul writes this to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Remember, Paul is afflicted as well. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is a scary passage. It's scary, but to those who are suffering so fiercely in the churches in Macedonia, this must have been a soothing aloe to their afflicted souls. Knowing that God will vindicate them in their experience, their trials, their suffering. The day of the Lord is at hand. It's near, it's coming. But... This justice is not of their own making. This justice is entirely left to God. Remember what this reasonableness means, trusting in God in spite of all of this, in spite of all of the difficulty. So the justice would have been so comforting, but even more than that, knowing that their citizenship is not in Philippi. Their citizenship is not to the Roman Empire. Their citizenship is not on earth. It's in heaven, and they wait patiently, patiently for Christ's return when they'll be made like him, when we as believers will be made like him. The day of the Lord can be a comfort to those who are undergoing extreme persecution now, on the other hand, the second meaning, the believer can have an unmistakable humility because the Lord is close beside. Now, we see this in the Psalms, and I can't say anything better than the Psalms do, so I'm just going to read some of these Psalms about the Lord being near. In Psalms 34, 81, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In 73, 28, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. In 75, 1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. 
In 119, 151, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. In 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon his name, all who call upon him in truth. Knowing that the Lord is so close gives the believer the ability to have this others-oriented, unmistakable humility. And the final point, a believer can have an unyielding peace. Peace and anxiety, they can't at the same time inhabit the life of the believer. They're opposites. In verse six, let's read it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is a command. This is another imperative that we're seeing Paul give. Don't be anxious about anything. I can only imagine how the believer in Philippi would have read this. Don't be anxious, Paul says. How? How do I not be anxious when my circumstances are like this? And maybe we see the same thing. We look at this and say, how do I not be anxious when when I'm going through these things in my life? Now, Paul, Paul doesn't leave it there, though. Paul doesn't leave it as a command, don't be anxious, and that's it. No, Paul says, don't be anxious, but pray. Pray with thanksgiving. The answer to anxiety is prayer. One theologian stated, and I really enjoy this, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. What a great way to look at it. Now, we see that in the text, it says in everything by prayer and supplication. I don't think we can make too much of prayer and supplication. I think those are two terms that Paul is using to stress this prayer. Pray, pray, pray. That is how to be rid of anxiety. But he does go into two features that this prayer has in it. The first feature of this prayer is thanksgiving. This is important. This is a gratitude towards God. Even in your anxiousness, you are, great. you are so thankful to God for all that he has done, for all that he has given you, for all that he has brought you through thus far in life. God is good. It's a constant reminder to be dependent upon God. This is contrary to a prayer that is doubtful or angry. God, why would you let me be this angry? Why would you let me be this this anxious? But rather, this is a thank you, God. I'm struggling, but I know how great you are and how dependent I am on you. So the first feature is that it is made with thanksgiving. The second is that this prayer is made with specific requests. Let your requests be made known. Individual requests are cast upon the Lord. These are not ambiguous mutterings. These are not repeated phrases over and over and over, hoping maybe God will hear you. 
These are individual, particular petitions to the Lord. To the Lord as a child calls out to a father. Now, I have a, a six-month-old. I, I love, love her dearly, and she, she cries. As a baby does, she cries. But I, I just can't help but think about her crying is a lot like how we should cry out. Something is wrong. Dad, please hear me. Help. That's how we should cry out to our Father. By depending only on God through prayer, will the believer receive the peace of God that Paul talks about. Now this anxiety, this anxiety comes from a disbelief in God, disbelief in who he says he is, in who he says what he will do. I think of Peter. When Peter's out on the water, he sees Jesus, and Peter steps out and walks to Jesus. Now Matthew, in his account of it, he says that Peter sees wind coming and is frightened and immediately starts to sink. Now Jesus saves him. He saves him and then scolds him a little bit. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you not believe in who I am and who I say I am? A thankful prayer, as Paul is talking about here, it releases anxiety because it demands that the believer recognize, submit to, believe, and have faith in God and his sovereignty over all things. This prayer really, truly is about submitting to God. It's, it's not so much about getting what we pray for because we have faith that God knows us, loves us, and will give us what we need. Now, as anxiety passes away, a peace from God fills the believer, looking at verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that humans cannot understand. This is a supernatural peace. This is a peace to go through trials without complaint. It's a peace that allows the believer to see God in all things rather than a comfortable situation. This is a peace that we can't understand, but a peace that is from God to his children. And this peace, what does it do Paul says that it stands guard over you, stands guard over your whole being. It says your hearts and your minds. This here means the whole believer. This peace stands guard. Now the Philippians would have seen this stand guard. It's a military term, so immediately their minds would have pictured the Roman garrison, which was living in Philippi, standing guard over buildings and stockpiles of of resources, they would have known what this looks like. These guards don't let anything go in or out of a place that shouldn't be going. 
And just like that, this peace protects the believer from anxiety coming in, from doubts. Because we have a peace that is from God. This standing guard, this is a picture of an unyielding peace, no matter the circumstances. In conclusion, although the believers in Philippi were terribly distressed by their situation, and Paul, the author, was a man also in horrible situation, he still can write, still can believe that they can have joy in the Lord. They can live a humble life because the Lord is near And through a crying out to God in prayer, they can trade their anxious hearts for a peace that only God can provide. All of these things are as true for us, believers in this room. It's as true for us today as it was for the Philippians when this letter reached them by way of Epaphroditus. This is truth for today. So how then... Do we live? How do we live today in light of Philippians 4, 4 through 7? I have one point of application. It's simple. Everyone knows it, but it is perhaps the hardest thing we can do. And that is invest in your relationship with God. Invest in your relationship with God. We live in a land of distractions. We need to make it a point to invest in that relationship. Remember that our joy, our humility, and our peace are all from the Lord, dependent on God. In our struggles, we can't go it alone. We can't simply say, I'm going to tough this out. I have this. We can't do it. We need God. And as we become intimately familiar with our Father who made us, who loves us, we will see that we are loved, we're provided for, we're comforted, we're protected beyond anything we could ever imagine. And to this end, we need to make sure that we are knowing God. We are investing in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're reading our Bible, we're praying every day, like the kids' song. Let us at NCC be a people of the book. Growing up, it was the worst thing to hear from my dad. All right, boys, we're having a TV fast this week. Oh, a TV fast. It's horrible. Looking back, it was not so bad. It's not such a bad thing to get rid of some distractions. Our Bible studies were not such a drag to go to on Wednesday nights because, well, TV wasn't an option. Let's make the Bible a priority for us and for our families. Now also let us pray unceasingly. Instead of listening to music or our favorite podcast or our audiobooks, I'm a big fan of audiobooks. Instead of doing those on our commute or when we have some free time, perhaps we should take that time to pray. Instead of going on our phones and scrolling through Instagram or 
TikTok or whatever the, the newest thing is or news apps, maybe we should take that time to pray. Now, when I hold Odette, now again, you have to forgive me. I'm a new dad. I, I just, I am starting to make all these little connections of how much we need God like a little baby. But when I hold Odette and she's tired, she's rubbing her eyes and I'm holding her and she starts to rub her face on my shoulder trying to burrow in. She's trying to get comfortable, find a peace for a nice, nice comfortable night's sleep. Let's be like that. Let's be like a little baby trying to get as close, as close to the Father as possible and find our peace from him there in a closeness to God. And the only way to really get close is through a faithful reading of the word and a constant, continual, passionate crying out in prayer to him who we know listens to us and loves us. With such a depending on him, we can have our joy in him. We can live a humble life and we can have our peace from him. Now, no one can have a peace from God when they are not at peace with God. If you are here this morning and you're a child of God and you know Christ as your savior, you're going through tough times, you simply need to call upon his name as a little baby. Call out to him. Be near to him. Seek him. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, but you do not know Christ, know that there is such a joy to be had, such a joy to be had in knowing Christ. There's a peace that can be obtained by calling out to the Savior. Knowing God can change your life. It will change your life. Knowing that Jesus is God, that he took on flesh, and that he sacrificed his perfect life on the cross for our sins, that he was raised, he now reigns, and he's the only way to salvation. If you repent of your sins, turn away from them and toward God and believe in Jesus, your life will never be the same. You can have a peace from God that is beyond our understanding. And this life-changing decision, it might not remove the trying times that you're going through, but through them, you can have an unending joy, an unmistakable humility, and an unyielding peace because you intimately know your Heavenly Father who loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for us. Thank you for taking our sins through, through blood that was shed. Father, thank you that you offer a peace that we cannot find anywhere else on earth. I pray, Lord, that you would use, use this, use Philippians, 
use these, these words to comfort us in our times of need and to encourage us to always seek you. Father, you love us and we're so thankful for that. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.